to the podcast, Marcus Smith. Um, today, we're very happy to have Marcus as our guest. He is known as an extreme athlete and coach, an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, and uh, he's also into paleo nutrition. So he runs a paleo nutrition company called Smith Street Paleo. Um, is there anything that you don't do, Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do podcasts. I'm super nervous and never yeah. done this before <laughs> in my life. And, uh, well, I forgot to say he also runs a podcast called Inner Fight Podcast. Um, he's an ultra runner, an ultra cyclist, and he's known as the 30-day marathon, no, as a um a marathon every 30 days. Uh, a marathon. 30 marathons in 30 days. There we go. Is that right? That's about right. right. That's oh, about right. See, oh, that makes it. it genuine. You see, it's not like it's pre-recorded and everything is no. on the spot and I like that. No script here. Yeah. Um, did you mention he also owns the gym in Dubai? No, there's too much to mention. Yeah, see? A, a massive gym in Dubai as well. Yeah. Um, Online and, coaching. Yeah, does pretty much everything. Um <laughs> So, so it's a bit like where do we where do we start? Like, Marcus has been on many many other podcasts, runs his own podcast, and yeah, just very interesting guy. But mostly about mindset, I guess, is what a lot of people want to talk to you about. Yeah, um, because yeah. you have this incredible energy and like yeah. incredible ability to just achieve whatever you set out to achieve. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with the big one: the the thirty marathons in thirty days. <laughs> Um, the stupid one, yeah. <laughs> that one, we'll start there first and a bit about, I guess, what you did it for to inspire others, what was going on in Dubai at that time that, yeah. that got you thinking about that and um, and also, you know, why are you in Dubai? I mean, yeah. tell us a little bit I, about your background leading into 30 marathons. I, I, yeah, I guess it, the, the best place to start this is how I actually ended up in Dubai, which was in 1982 when I moved there with my family. And my dad, a lot of people are like, why, why did you go there? And I was actually four years old and my dad just got a job there. So we moved with my mom and my sister and that's where my life started there. And I think that's really where my environment changed a little bit. When I, when I was young, my dad was working in Saudi Arabia when I was a baby, which wouldn't, obviously I wouldn't have remembered. But I remember my early years in Dubai and my dad had a, like a run group that would run on a Monday and a Thursday and they'd run from our house on a, on a Thursday and they'd run from my godfather's house on a Monday. And I'd always want to go around and, you know, I'd, I'd set off with them in the street and then they'd drop me like real fast. And then I'd always wait and try and figure out which route they were going to come back by. And I wanted to be involved in that environment. And my, my dad was actually part of that group of guys that first did triathlons in Dubai. And I remember seeing them like you couldn't, you wouldn't order a bike on the internet then. So dad would write letters to trek who were like in new york and then one day he was like i'm going to new york and my mom's like what are you going to new york for he goes oh there's this bike shop and i need to buy one of these bikes because i want to do triathlon there's no bike shop in yeah. dubai so they'd all yeah so that environment was something that i was exposed to from a young age and i wasn't very good in school in dubai so i was, I was sent to boarding school and in my boarding school they said do you want to do running and i was like i was like yeah i'll do running I knew I was okay at it, but I didn't really know I was any good at it. And I started doing running in boarding school and I just smash everyone. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, cause it's something I'm good at. And obviously when we're young, we want to feel like we're good at stuff. And that's when I, you know, then I was like, oh, this is, this is good. And then when I went to senior school, I was like, I was allowed to train twice a day because I was a runner. So I'd, I was allowed to get up at five in the morning 
And I remember when I was young, I'd, I'd, in school, I'd go like all through the forest on my own early morning in the dark. And I just was having the time of my life. And I'd come back at like 6.37 and wake all the other kids up like hyper after a run. And yeah, it was, it was fun. And so that's really where a lot of my running came from. And sort of fast forward a number of years when I finished my degree, I didn't want to stay in the UK and I moved back to Dubai. So it's kind of been my home for, for a long time. And it's run by... A lot of people might know Sheikh Mohammed is the ruler of Dubai and his son, Sheikh Hamdan, who's a lot younger, is the crown prince. And he's a super active guy. Check him on Instagram. He's got over 5 million followers. And one of his mandates is to make Dubai the fittest city in the world. So this comes to your question, Pete, about like, how did these stupid marathons come around or these marathons come around? <laughs> You're too polite to call them stupid, mate. <laughs> and um, it, it came around like in 2017. He said, I'm going to challenge everyone to do 30 minutes of exercise a day for 30 days. And I was like, that's awesome, you know? And it was, it was really cool. It ran in October to November, through November. And basically they did a lot of things around the city to inspire people to do 30 minutes of exercise a day for 30 days. Fast forward a, a, a year or fast forward a little bit to, to February where I had my crash and I remember laying in my hospital bed and I said to myself, well, if I can't ride my bike, anymore I can definitely run and because I'd done a lot of running before and I'd always kept my toe in running I'd, I'd run a lot of ultra events sort of 2012 15 and this stuff so running was definitely something that I loved and I remember I it, one of my friends sent me a, a route in Europe about a week before and I scrolled back in my my whatsapp messages and I clicked it started reading around it and it's like the hardest route in Europe like I don't know if it is, you know, everything's the hardest, isn't it? Like, which ultra did you do? I did the hardest one. I don't know if it's the hardest, but like trail running in Europe is pretty, pretty for real. And said it's one of the toughest. And uh, it was, it was across the island of Corsica, which is south of France, west of Italy, a small island. They're not really sure who they are, if they're Corsican, French. So it's quite a cool melting pot of culture and fights with the French and stuff. And it said in the in the book, I think it said it's about 180 kilometers across it and about 10 or 11,000 meters of elevation. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. It actually turned out to be 195k and 13 and a half thousand meters of ele- elevation. So, which if you do ultra or if you do endurance, never believe how far things are. That's like lesson number one. And I sent it to one of my friends who's a school teacher. And I said, when do you finish school? We're going to run this in the summer holidays, Northern Hemisphere. We have summer holidays, July and August. And he said, I finish on the 26th, I think it was, of June. I said, we'll start on the Monday. And he just wrote back, yes, but you're in hospital with everything broken. I said, bro, don't worry about that. I'll be ready. And it's sort of, that's when, like, I was like, this is, you know, I'd done a lot of running events till then. And I was like, I was inspired by by sort of a lot of running things that were happening. And one of those things was, was a book that I'd read by Dean Carnassus, which is uh, 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. And I think, you know what it's like when you, when I was cycling a lot, I was reading a lot of cycling books when I'm running a lot, I'm obviously reading and listening to a lot of running podcasts and this kind of stuff. And that book came around. It really, really resonated with him because Dean Carnassus activated different communities in the different states and, at the end of his book, he's got the stats of how many people ran with him and the minimum and the maximum. I was like, I can do something like that in Dubai. And then the idea came, like, Dubai Fitness Challenge is coming this year in October. Let's do it. So I got the number of the operations guy 
whatever he was for Dubai Fitness Challenge, called him up and told him my idea. And he didn't get it. Or he didn't like it. He's like, mate, no way. He goes, this is for people that are sedentary to do 30 minutes of exercise a day for 30 days. I'm like, yeah, that's what you don't understand. I'll do something so stupid that everyone will go, if that idiot can do that, then I can do 30 minutes. And he's like, nah, nah. And I was like, I'm not taking no from this guy. Like, I'm a little bit aggressive when I want something. I won't stop, you know? And I sort of, you know, which I think is a positive and a negative. And I said, listen, and, you know, a little bit of an old sales trick. I said, don't decide now. I'll give you a couple of weeks. I was going off somewhere. When I get back, let's have a coffee. Because I knew if I got him face to face, I'd sell him. And it was just unreal. I, I got a meeting with him when I got back. And meanwhile, I'd, I'd flicked the message to one of my friends as kind of head of Dubai Tourism, which run this thing. And he said, leave it with me, mate. We'll make it happen. And I don't know if it was that or these other things, but we sat down with this guy and he was a different person. He was like, mate, I totally get it. I think your idea is great. We're going to do it. I was like, dude, two weeks ago, you're telling me that I'm crazy. And what had happened actually is Ross Edgley was swimming around Great Britain. Um, which was a crazy event. If anyone hasn't seen it, I think it's on Red Bull TV still, where he just set off to swim around Great Britain, didn't come onto shore for six months. He's swimming like 12, 16 hours a day. Yeah, totally crazy, all different weather. And yeah, I still, I still it's one of those things, it's, it's almost like Kipchoge will run sub two, but no one will really understand what sub two marathon is. Same with this free solo. Everyone's saying, like, Alex Honnold, like, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. It's like, you don't even understand it, you know? And I heard on a show, you can't appreciate it. Like, someone said on a show the other week, I think Jimmy Chin was being interviewed, and they're like, guys, this is like a one-hour marathon, what Alex did on, 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 on that wall on El Cap. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of, yeah, I think sometimes people don't really, people don't really understand the, the, the extremity of things and what Ross Edgley did was crazy. Anyway, this guy had, had, had watched Ross Edgley's documentary or watched bits of it. And I think he'd also secretly read bits of Dean Karnas's book because I'd obviously sent him all the links and my sales pitch. And he's like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll activate these communities. And we started, we started on the 26th of October, which fortunately was two weeks late. They called me two weeks before we're supposed to start on about the 15th of October. And said, oh, the whole initiative is delayed by two weeks. And all my mates are going, oh, that's bullshit. I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? You, a, you can't change it. And B, it means the weather's a lot cooler and I've got more time to train. And yeah, five o'clock every morning for 30 days, I woke up. And I think this is what made it really cool. And this is for all the negatives of social media. This is what helped me remain accountable, get motivated and get support is that I got some pretty decent social media influencers would come and run with me, which would spread the word. I was tracking it on my social media. So I'd give updates when I could, as you know, you don't really always feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm dead, Um, you know, and the media got hold of it as well. And they sort of reported it. Sheikh Hamdan came and ran with me once, which that was only at the end, but it got all this thing. So I'd have to, we met at the same place every morning. And at 5am, I knew there'd be anywhere from two people to 50 or 60 people waiting for me. So there's no way I couldn't do this thing. Mm. And it it was amazing. Like 400 people ran with me during the whole thing. 40 people did the full marathon with me, which I was, it was beyond my wildest expectations. And you know, what was even more crazy is 
I think over 25 did 20 to 25 did the marathon for the first time, which is just, it's just wild. And one guy did three, you know, and I was just, and then I had another guy, this guy, Tarek, who was, I still can't believe what he did. He, I think he ran around 500 K with me and he just, he'd make his morning run with me. So he'd just track me through, through, through the tracking app that I had. And he just come tearing down a street, blowing his horn. And these people that be running with me and be like, who's this guy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's Tarek. And they're like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I know he runs with me every day. And like, he, he would literally send me messages the days that he couldn't run. He'd like, mate, I'm so sorry. I couldn't get there today. I just had something with my family and with work. And like, he'd skip family things for me. He'd be there on the weekend. And yeah. it was, it was wild, you know? And of course, which is interesting as well, the whole physiological side, the whole mental side of it was just, it was an amazing 30 yeah. days. You know, I've, I've listened to you talk about this on a couple of other podcasts and the things that I really liked and appreciated was the, when you said that there was no choice, yeah. like, so <laughs> taking, taking away choice, um, and you obviously you've coached a lot of people, you've trained a lot of people in your gym online. Yeah. Um, you've changed a lot of people's lives. Um, so give us a few of those key factors that you give to a lot of people and particularly around how you approach that 30 and 30 yeah. um, around taking away choice. Yeah, I think, I think the background on this is that we now have more decisions to make than we've ever had before. And we have more access to more things. Like we're sat here in a beautiful house. We could live for the next five years without leaving this place. Literally, it, it, it's insane and we'd kill each other, but it's insane. Like behind me, we've got a swimming pool. We can train every day swimming. You know, we could, we could, you know, we can have everything delivered. We'd need a decent amount of money, not a great deal. We could, and actually, speaking about this on a show the other day, it'd be quite a cool test that you could actually, you could run a whole business. You could do like you could do an online business without leaving this house, like just the three of us. <laughs> Such a queer like, <laughs> experiment, but we could do it. You know, we could get everything delivered. So Your in, wife might have something to say about that. Yeah. We, well, we could give her visiting hours. Yeah. You know, it'd be so weird, but it, it's so true. And the brain can only make so many decisions a day. Yeah. Like, we know that. Mm. The scientific side, we know that. So we're distracted. We're having to make more decisions than ever. And actually, when I had my crash, I was laid on the side of the road. And I thought to myself, I, I remember saying to myself, you've got two choices. And this is the best and worst thing I ever said. One choice was, you're going to die. Or the second choice was, you've got to fight. You've got to focus and you've got to fight for every single breath you take. Because if, if you don't, like, I had to focus so much just to get enough oxygen in. Like, if you don't, you'll die. And at that stage on the road, I, I, I took the choice to, to fight. I said, well, there is no choice here. And it's the same thing you said there, Pete. Like, I've said it a lot. Like, there was not a choice not to finish those marathons. This is a conversation that you have to have as a coach with a client and as a client with either your coach or with your support network. There's always going to be a choice. We ran together here in Noosa the other Monday. I could have done a, not a million and one other things, but... But there, once you guys said, let's run on Monday, there's no choice. And you have to be so confident that that's the right decision. A, I needed to train. B, I wanted to hang out with you guys. So it's such a firm decision. 
And we actually released a show the other week on, on, on my podcast called Non-Negotiables. Like, I would not have not been there for the world. Like, if I'd have woken up vomiting, then that's maybe a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to let you down. And this is one of the biggest things as well, is that we're saying yes to things that we don't really want to do, but we're doing it to keep, keep people happy. And we're saying no to things that we actually do want to do. And we're sitting around waiting. Like, I didn't ask you guys. And I think it's a really cool example. I didn't ask you guys, oh, who else is coming? Yeah. Uh, what pace will we run? Yeah. What will we do? Like, I don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah. My decision is already made. Like, yeah. I want to do this, yeah. you know? And I'm very much like that. I'll, which Holly says I'm, I'm sometimes not very spontaneous. But you'll say to me, can we do this? And uh, No. And I'm so comfortable just to say no. You know, so these things of removing choice and being confident in what you're saying, you know, these days, someone will say to you, do you want to come for a run? And you'll go, no, because I've got to do this. And like, mate, I don't give a shit about what you've, I don't give a rat. Like, we're mates. If you can come, you'll say yes. If you can't, I'm sweet. You know what I mean? I don't care. I I care for you, Mm. but it's not my problem if you have to take your dog to the vet. I don't Mm. need to hear about it. Like. You're just going to handle that. And I'm just so like, and Holly's like, yeah, but sometimes you should explain yourself more. I said, I don't have to explain myself to anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we've come in a world now where we, we feel like we have to justify so many things. If you're an athlete, if you're a, if you're a nine to five or if you're a weekend warrior, whatever you class yourself, I, I think everyone's an athlete. Mm. We just haven't all developed into an athlete mindset. You don't have to be a world champion to be an athlete. You can live your life as an athlete. Like, I'm not very good at running. When you com- like, if, you look at, uh, if you look at Jim Wormsley, you know, one of the best ultra runners out there, Western States, blah, 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 Killian Jornet, these guys are incredible. Like, I'm nowhere near you know, Killian Jornet. I'm double the size of him to start with. You know what I mean? But my mindset, I live like, like I'm him, mm. you know, not, not because I look at him and go, okay, what's Killian doing? Because I don't go for a five hour run with 500 mils of water and one Snickers like Killian does. You know what I mean? I sort of take a little bit more food and water with me, but you know, I, I still, I, I try and do things and I try and give my athletes things like non-negotiables. What time will you go to bed? Being conscious about what you're eating, the environment that you're in. Like back at the start of the show, I spoke about environment. Like if you want to get good at triathlon, Noosa is probably a pretty good place to come and live, mm. you know, look up Pete, come and have a chat with him if he wants to give, <laughs> give you his time. But you've got to put yourself in that right way. And then you start to remove the, the, the choices. There's a commitment as well. And mm. I think a lot of people these days, and I see this a lot in my coaching, like that's why our, our process to take on a client is, is pretty brutal. We'll, we'll ask about 30 questions. I want to know if you press snooze in the morning. I want to know if you've got relationship issues. I want to know, like, the, the, like a lot of people will write back to me and go, geez, mate, that's quite a detailed questionnaire. Like, yeah, if you don't fill it in, I won't. I, won't. I try and yeah. be nice about it. But, yeah. And people have actually sent it back within half an hour. And I just send it straight back. And I'm like, no, sorry, you haven't thought about it properly. <laughs> because you're not, you haven't given it that thought to say, you know, what is my commitment to my girlfriend? What is my commitment to my friends? And if we lay them all out, that's cool because I'll fit your training in around certain things. I might say that that's got to go, but I want to try and remove all of the choices for people because 
when we've seen that done, the success rate goes through the roof and people can start to live like an athlete. You know, there's going to be, your phone's going to ring or you're going to see something on social media that's going to make you want to go out five nights a week because you're, you're opening yourself up to a choice. But if you say to yourself, I don't go out in the week and that's a non-negotiable because my training is a lot more important than, you know, not more important than a friendship because we can still hang out on, on the weekend or we can do something different. But I only have a limited amount of time in my life. This is what's important and I'm going to do it. But I don't think people, I think people want things for the wrong reasons as well. So I think that's why we're in this, we're in this era of people are, are making a lot of choices. They're making a lot of poor decisions because they don't know why they want what they want, you know? I think that comes down to being self-aware as well. So people yeah. aren't self-aware of what makes them happy. Yeah. And because, as you said before, we're all going so fast all the time. Yeah. We're distracted by social media. We're not actually taking the time to fill in a questionnaire with yeah. 30 questions. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and it's the same. Who was I? Um, I was listening to something, one coach the other day, and one of his rules, I'm going to, I'll remember, and if I don't, I'm going to find out because it was really cool. And one of his rules is client will check in every week. The email will follow this format. It's not allowed to be done on a mobile device. Have to, so, he does something or has a system that you have to have, to have it from a laptop. So you have to sit, taking that time, sat down. Even if you've got 10 beers in you, you still have to be sat down and you have to be writing it properly. And I do that with a lot of, my, a lot of people that I mentor. We have weekly updates. It's got to be there by a Sunday. If you don't get it to me on a Sunday, I'm not going to reply to it. I'll come back to you next Sunday or I'll actually come back to you next Monday because my time is such that I'm going to receive all of your information on a Sunday. I'm going to commit my time to you on a Monday because that's what you've paid for. And within that Monday, within 24 hours, you're going to get my full attention and you're going to get reply. And that's the service. If I only get your email on a Tuesday, sorry, I'm busy. I have my time so sort of anally planned that if I'm giving you a reply, I'm not giving you 100% of me and you're paying for 100% of me. You're not paying to me to reply to you when I'm on a train or, you know, I'm, how can you reply to a client when you're riding your bike? You know, a lot, of, a lot of these coaches do it, but people do it. Young athletes who want to live this dream of, of, of coaching and online coaching, yeah. like they write your program on a bike. Yeah. Now, yeah. I've had some great ideas for programming when I've been on a bike and I'll make loads of notes, but I'm not putting it in your training peak, so I'm not replying to that. So this, I think these are the things, and, and like you said, James, like, People's self-awareness of what they really want is poor. And I don't know what you guys think. I, I had a really interesting discussion with myself a few weeks ago. I think when I was running, actually. Should we start working with someone before we've gone through self-awareness? Or is it too much at the start? And that's one of the biggest things. For some people that are broken, like really broken, relationship broken, work life broken, body broken, like everything is destroyed. If you say, listen, mate, let's meet at the surf club. You tell me the time. We're just going to walk up to Hell's Gate. We can do that, you know, and then we can start to open them up. If I send them that questionnaire or if I start to ask them to do a self-awareness exercise from the start, they might just go, this is way too much. So it's a little bit of a, isn't it? It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a real balance of, of what people, like when you can, 
it's almost like an an athlete like when do we give them what session no I, we, we have a session in in in, in our training peaks for our ultra athletes 105 by 400 diet 105 laps of a 400 meter track anyone who runs an ultra has to do it they don't get that in the first week of the program yeah. but they're going to get it before their first race you know, because that's just something that we've decided is super important for ultra runners to do you know yeah. and they'll they'll get they know it's coming but it's not a conversation we have in the first week had you seen that zach bitter just broke the 100 mile world Incredible. record um and so i follow him on social medias and i'd seen that he'd done the track session of maybe 30 miles or so mm. so maybe a bit over the 105 laps or around there anyway yeah, yeah and he'd done it i think at least two maybe three times in the last couple of months yeah where he was on a track for four or five hours yeah. um going round and round in circles it's so. not that hard mate no i mean it's you get really to switch off no choice there's no, no choice. choice which do i turn left or right which <laughs> which track should i take this is it is this one going to be hillier it doesn't matter just it, take away choice yeah i mean i love running around the grass track um I like swimming in a in a 50 meter pool and yep. watching my times because there's also that objective feedback which keeps your brain and awareness connected. Yeah. Um so that leads into one of my other questions when you're talking about um the clients and getting them uh progressing I guess or if if they if they come to you and their self-awareness isn't there. It's mm. not at that level. Yeah. Um do you have some tricks that you use because some people in the chronically stressed state yeah don't even know what it feels like to quiet their mind for a second. They just, they can't get to that point of a meditative experience, yeah. even for one second. Yeah. Do you have some tips to break yeah. through those chronically stressed, anxious Absolutely, mindsets? And, and there's two, there's two things. If, we, if I'm coaching someone in training peaks, I'll just ask them and pretty much force them just to leave a comment on the workout. We'll then review those comments together. This is something that's, and now Training Peaks have put in the smiley face for perceived effort, how much you enjoyed the session, all of that, which is obviously something cool as well. So we'll get them to start understanding how things feel and how they feel about things. So that session felt hard. I feel good about it. Because you can feel that a session's hard and you can feel good or bad about it. Yeah. So there's two feelings going on here. A lot of people don't know what feelings they don't know any of their feelings to be honest yeah it, it's true you say like chronically stressed depressed whatever you know and i don't work a lot with elite athletes there's not actually a great market in it because sorry mate but most of them are dickheads yeah it's one percent of the population like yeah. i work with alcoholics yeah. i work with reformed drug addicts like i work with all these kind of people you know and maybe it's not current but they've lost touch of what their feelings are so mate that's the number one hack with training peaks it's easy with a client that isn't at training peaks level when you wake up in the morning send me a message tell me how you feel done they're not sending me the message of course i get it hmm. they're telling themselves yeah that's what all of this feedback is and i tell clients i'm going to read thoroughly through what you write so don't bullshit me but this is you writing to you and it's so, so important to understand that reflection. And then you go back to it. It's like HRV for training, I think, is an amazing app because you get the, the data and that's great, you know. But again, someone who's 150 kilos, who's depressed, they don't give a shit. They don't even know that 90 beats a minute is bad. They think it's great. They don't have the energy to do, to, to do 
to do that. Yeah, they're not, they're not stressed about it. But that question in HRV, how's your mental energy? This How motivated are you? To, and actually getting people to do that. And then we'll go back. So I'll go at the end of the month and go, okay, Pete, this was your first week, mate. Let's just have a look at some of the comments you put in Training Peaks. And this is a process that when you become, should we say, more mature in personal performance, you just do for yourself. Like, there'd be times, mate, when, when you were training hard, you'd probably go back and go, I did that session six months ago. Let's just have a look how I did. That gives you motivation. It gives you some sort of comparison. So that's number one. And I think that's like the key to starting them on this journey of, of reflection. The second point is, is there has to be some form of goal. Getting, feeling slightly better is a great goal, but it has to be defined. And you, it's difficult to define that because it's so subjective. But what I always, I'm a geek for, for maths. I love things. And this is kind of where Sato's perceived effort comes and, you know, all of that stuff. And a lot of the time in, in high performance, I think perceived effort's a little bit of bollocks because, you know, yeah, no, like you need, I know that you need to drive X amount of watts to, to, to ride the section of that race in that time. So you can't tell me all through training that it's a 10 out of 10 because I know that you need to ride at 290 watts. Like, so that's yeah, where... It's technically, you'd need to be at a 20 out of 10 if you're telling me it's 10 out of 10 yeah, now. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. So on high level of performance, perceived effort or this scoring out of five or out of three or out of 10. But mate, I've had traffic light systems in place with people. Is it a green day today? What constitutes a green day? And you'll sit with a client and say, okay, you tell me what, what's a green day for you. Is it having three good meals? Or is it just having two good meals and you eat what you want? Third, Is it moving for 30 minutes? Is it doing something that's a little bit, just makes you feel better? And you, you have to, if you want to create change, you have to, you can't create change if you're still in a state of denial. So you have to, at some stage, identify what's going on. As I said before, it's difficult when someone's really depressed, crook, whatever, on day one. But what we're doing is we're building up the evidence for them through whatever reporting system we use. And we're now getting, we're getting these facts for them, helping them. And that can lead into these goals, which can be numeric. It, you know, a goal, and this is what I think people don't really understand. A, a goal to do an Ironman triathlon is like someone saying they want to climb Everest. Like my goal today was to be here at nine. Like that was a goal for me, you know, and yeah. to be to be in a, a mental state where I can have a good conversation. You know, I could have rocked up here. I could have been 15 minutes late, not in a good mental place. So I changed my day so that I know that I've got 15 minutes before I come here to come into a good state, to get here on time and all of this stuff. Like, and a lot of people are thinking going, yeah, but mate, that's just normal. It is totally normal. But if you're not making a conscious effort to do those small things, those small goals daily in a better way, then how can you expect to do an Ironman triathlon or run an ultra? You, you simply can't. Yeah. Because you can't do the sexy stuff without being a nerd. Like, that, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's brilliant. And um, like I, that one. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, so many things. Um, I'd, I'd try and get my, our clients just to do 30 seconds a few times a day of just breathing into their belly and quietening their mind to trigger that. That's it. That 
I'm in control. Yeah. I'm no longer the, you know, being controlled by the anxieties and depression and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So there's so much of it is the physical side of getting in control of people that come to you with depression. Obviously, you know, there's studies that show even if you just hold a good, strong posture, your testosterone can rise and your, your cortisol can lower. So you can affect your mental state and chemical state and hormonal state with your body and yeah. what you do with it physically. 100%. Um, but that is also impacted by Im input as well. So nutrition can also yeah. give you depression if you're just eating junk food all the time. You're not going to have any levels of dopamine and serotonin that, that's going to make you feel good. So with your, you have a, a company, um, Smith Street Paleo with your yeah. wife, which is around paleo-based food. Yeah. Um, so give us a little bit more insight into the food approach or your your thoughts on food and changing somebody's depression or anxiety or mindset yeah. through these small steps of food, um, physical training. And, and as you said, those small little goals are, are yeah, huge. Absolutely. That was a really good one. It's interesting what you said before I answer that, mate. We, five years ago at the gym, I, I didn't have a big budget for, for marketing, but I was like, this social media shit's going to kick off. And uh, I hired a photographer and people said to me, mate, you're crazy. What are you doing? You're paying you know, a few thousand dollars a month for this guy to take pictures. Yeah. That's his job. And, you, and he's been with me five years and I have two more that work for me now as well. So we have a team of three. You see it so much about people's physique. So I've got pictures of you working out in my gym for five years. This is Pete. And if you're watching the video version, you can see it. You know, this is Pete on day one. And he's looking at me, coaching him, and he's looking at the board. And this is, this is Pete on day day you know yeah. and on day 30 pete's writing the stuff on the board for yeah. me but it, it's super important to 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 look at that stuff coming to food mate yeah we started paleo i guess it's interesting how this started because i've always had quite a sweet tooth however i limit i mean it. who who doesn't yeah if you uh, it's yeah. does anybody really not like sweet tastes <laughs> Really? Yeah. I mean, it's inbuilt in our genetics it, to seek out sweet foods. And it's highly addictive. And it's, you know, I, I do. Your often... excuse is that you have a sweet tooth, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. everybody. Does. Mate, I know it's often like people say, I don't really have a sweet tooth. I look at them and I go, Really? Come on. Let's go have some ice cream and talk about it. So, I, yeah, I always liked, you know, something sweet. And I knew I could get it from fruit. And then paleo sort of. Paleo was quite close along with zone diet to CrossFit. That was kind of Rob Wolf who led a lot of paleo revolution in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, was friends with Glassman, since fallen out, blah, blah, blah. So I came into the paleo diet quite early on um, when I sort of started doing CrossFit in 2004. And I was like, hang on a minute, this sweet stuff, these dates mixed with cacao and this, I can taste really good suppresses my sugar cravings like it totally satisfies me this is cool i think i think this is this is the way it goes and then i dug into it a bit more and i'm like okay dairy okay i know that dairy's not real good for us because we've got lactose intolerance and these these paleo guys <laughs> let's call them that they don't eat dairy it's pretty cool okay next thing no processed food well that makes sense because if you process something and it was coming of the time where I was getting, you know, this is, we're talking about almost 20 years ago, 17, 18 years ago, you know, I'm starting to read labels on things, you know, I'm not 18 anymore, I'm starting to, 
you know, being a bit more interesting. Like, I don't even understand what this is in here. And then I'm sort of Googling stuff and it's like preservative. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, and I started to put all these things together. And then another bit of the jigsaw, which was quite interesting, is Holly used to fly. She flew for about 13 years. And she used to always have like, she had like fat. They weren't fat. They were just swollen. And she'd sit on the couch after a long flight and she'd be like, ankles, can you massage them? She'd be like, not really into this, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I love you. Maybe it'll, yeah. lead, maybe it'll lead somewhere else. Yeah, I was like, we'll go, yeah. And, and it never went anywhere because I'd literally touch her ankle and she'd scream. Mate, typical woman, you're asking me to do something. I'm doing it perfectly, obviously. And you're freaking out on me. And it was just, she had so much information. And we started to look at things. And I think at that stage, to be honest, we'd cut all dairy out. She, she still had fruit in the morning with some yogurt on it. Uh, we'd sometimes have bread. And then the bread was an interesting one because every January, again, my dad used to give stuff up dad what are you doing and you know you're giving up chocolate and all this nice stuff and he's like i'm just doing it you know and then we do my mom's catholic and we do lent and stuff and so when i was 21 it was actually on the the end of no it was a bit later it was it was <laughs> it was actually after england won the rugby world cup down here in australia in two which is 2003 and literally i'd finished playing in in on the gold coast in august or september and all through to the World Cup, like there was nothing to train for. We'd been on the booze three or four nights a week. England Rugby World Cup, back to Dubai, Christmas. And literally, it was New Year's Eve. And I was like, I just don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. And I was like, I'm going to do what dad used to do. I'm going to stop alcohol in January. I knew I didn't have a problem, but it was... It was just it's what we were saying earlier, like, because I didn't have a goal at that time. I was in between seasons. I was just, you know, it was off season. I was just partying the whole time. And, you know, I, I did it for that Jan. And then the next Jan, I was like, well, alcohol is easy. And I'm sort of looking around the kitchen. What else can I give up? And I was like, I'm going to stop bread. Don't need it. And we still sort of, this was, so this was 2004 or 2005. And I said to Holly, I'm going to give up bread. She's like, you're on your own. Okay, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And I gave up bread. And I've never, I haven't gone back to it. I've never eaten a slice of bread since. Um, I've, I've had pizza. I've had, um, actually, there was one time I had some bread. It was in Corsica last year. And there was nothing else. And we were like 16 hours into a day and blah, 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 blah. And I've had croissant. But I don't eat bread. It, like, a regular basis and she the last two things for her to go were the yogurt in her fruit and also the bread within six months this inflammation is gone it's like this is this is and paleo was so straightforward because it was a lot of vegetables and a lot of people got paleo really wrong they they actually moved to they were they were too early for you mate they're on carnivore before carnivore really came should we say to fashion i know mm. carnivore has been around for a while but people thought paleo was like people thought that caveman just ate meat the whole time well caveman didn't have the ability to just 
kill animals. Like, oh, I'll just go out to my farm and yeah, we'll kill him and mm. we'll have f- him for dinner. Like, it could be, it could be days, it could be weeks. Mm. So the actual meat intake in the original paleo diet was not super, super huge. It was probably only a few hundred grams. And I've done what everyone did. You know, it's like, oh yeah, bacon's suddenly good, and you have half a kilo of bacon for breakfast. Of course, it tastes amazing, <laughs> and all of this stuff. But when you get into it, it's just eating simple foods. So it was easy to cook like that, you know. And there was no sauces, which I was not good with sauce anyway. I never really liked brown sauce. I didn't really like that much ketchup. We never, when I was in boarding school, we never really <clears throat> got a lot of that stuff anyway. So. That's sort of how the paleo thing came around. And then there was nothing in Dubai. There was not people doing paleo. And Holly's like, she was just still flying. And she's like, I want to make this dish that I've just eaten in Greece. I want to see if I can make it paleo. I've just gone, how are you going to do that? Scott, listen, she goes, I don't know. And she's just started to play around. And she started the website, Smith Street Paleo. And, you know, fast forward like five years, four years now. She's got 200 recipes on that site and we deliver the food to people. And, you know, I think it's a really, going back to your question as well, Pete, it's actually quite an, an easy conversation because people generally, for the most part, you know, you sit down, okay, do you know that ice cream's not good? Yeah, I know. Okay, there might be a little bit more education needed around low-fat things and a little bit more education needed around, you know, lactose intolerance and that actually those intolerant mm. and the fact that we've actually just buffered it but we'll just say like i'll just say to people okay you're tired no worries let's look at your diet i think one of the things that's going to help you is if you reduce x or are you re- are you ready to remove x and they do it and one of the best things as you guys all know is like removal and then reintroduction remove milk for two weeks reintroduce it see what happens you know, same with bread and process. Like, there is no place for process. People generally understand. I know for some people, it's a little bit of a price issue or they claim it's a price issue. Mm. I think that's a little bit of an excuse for a lot of people. Um, but I think a lot of people just don't know how to, how to sort of prepare themselves in a way. And I think that's why they need to. I, I think using a nutrition coach is something that a lot of people should be doing to guide them through it to give them ideas and to let them understand what's right or wrong because we are really it goes back to what we were saying earlier we're distracted we're also really confused aren't we you know of, of oh yeah there's so many um conflicting messages currently yeah. the old guidelines that the government's been sticking to for for years and the nutritional you know schools and yeah where people get their education around nutrition is very old and outdated and totally based on crappy epidemiology yeah. studies. Yeah. So people are still afraid of things like, oh, I'll have a little bit of meat, but well, I should only have this much. I'm better off eating, you know, more potatoes and more of this. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't see that there's any problem with the potatoes. The government's not telling them to yeah. dial back on the bread and potatoes, you know, and the cereals and all that junk, as yeah. you're saying. So um yeah, very conflicting at the moment. So educating people around, as you said, like clients around Look, this is this is where it's coming from, yeah. And, and this is why the information, some of it, misguided. And this is why you need to form, change the perceptions around yeah. food, and yeah. and everything in life is perceptions. And yeah, 
changing people's it perceptions. It goes back a lot, mate, to sort of what we're saying earlier. You asked me a good question about, you know, what's the tricks and techniques on, 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 on how we're coaching people and getting them to understand it. The same as we've got to understand that sleep, nutrition, training, like this is how it's happening. Or you, you can argue we could sit all day, nutrition to sleep or sleep to nutrition, whatever it is, training's on the top. So if I'm going to, and we're going to sit around and talk about rate of perceived effort on your training session, the watts that you're able to achieve, how you feel about that and understanding how you feel, what I said earlier, we have to do the same thing on food. We have to, you know, if, if you really know that one of your clients is suffering or if you know as a human being who's listened to this show is suffering from food or you wake up with brain fog or you don't feel, you just don't feel right, it probably isn't your training. That's like, that might be just knocking it over the edge. It's just like the final tap. What did you eat yesterday? You know, and how consistent was it? How did you feel after? And you have to get what for a lot of people is a little bit gruesome. What was it like when you went for a crap? What was the consistency? What was the color? You know, and you have to almost, I'm not saying that people should be, you know, taking photos of their shit every morning, but you have to take a mental note to know, okay, that's good. That's not good. It's really this color or it's a lot lighter. It has chunks in. I'm not digesting something. And you have to have those check-ins as well with yourself. Like, and I can, I can tell you, like we could sit here and get really graphic and gruesome about it. I could tell you, yep, if I eat that, I have this crap the next morning. If I eat that one like this and like this and like, and people will be like, really? Well, yeah, because if I don't take care of that part of, we've got a picture of it, this pyramid in our gym that uh, it puts nutrition at the bottom, nutrition, rest, recovery, and move at the top. And people will come in and they'll be like, but if those two are more important, you guys only work up here. I said, yeah. I said, that's why some days I'll tell you, don't bother coming. You know, and people are like, no, but I have to train five times a week. You don't really. And if you don't put those things in. So there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said. And that's why I think apps like MyFitnessPal are great as well for, for tracking food. But there's a lot to be said about, I ate this, I felt like this, you know, and going back to whether it's carnivore, whether it's paleo, whether it's veganism, whatever, however, I always say this over and over again. I'm like, if you can get your performance goals, feel amazing, eat pizza and drink beer every day, I can come with an argument that shows you that that's not the best for your life. But if you're winning at what you want to win at, eat it. It's so, so individual. Like for you right now, carnivore is working great. I think this is, and I've thought about it since we run. I think what's going to happen to you is you're going to fix your problem through that. And you're going to come out the other side, six months, nine months, two years, and your diet's going to look totally different. And I think that's great because you have to fix the gut microbiome. I did exactly the same. I stopped eating meat for about six months. And then I went back to it super slowly. I cut out eggs for almost a year. That's hard, as you probably know, you know? <laughs> I yeah, so that banana bread you just cooked me, like, what would we have done with that? But people are not willing to have that consistency as well. It's like, I'm, you're sick, you know? And a lot of people are sick. You're sick. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And I always say to people, I think 21 days is pretty decent. Like, I think you can... You can go in an eating style for 21 days and we can also get results from that we can see exactly what's happening 
and then we can sort of reintroduce stuff. Mm. A lot of the food intolerance tests that people do, they'll, I mean, that's, I did some really detailed stuff, three day stool samples, kind of stuff. And I, I gave up eggs for basically almost a year. Then I just reintroduced them and felt no different. Felt no different when they left and felt no different when they came back. But I was super relaxed that during that time, my gut was getting a rest. I was able to grow new good gut bacteria and my problem was gone. Mm. You know, but it's that whole... Yeah. There's so many layers to yeah. the gut being able to un, um, process things like, you know, from vagal tone and how relaxed your parasympathetic nervous yeah. system is to what's currently in your gut microbiome, what foods are they used to, yeah. um, and so many factors, how stressed you are in your life in other ways. Well, that's and the thing as well, mate. And we, we hear about this a lot. Like, what are you doing when you're eating? Mm. How do you have your meals? Like something that, that, that me and Holly have always been really, really keen on and just done is every night we sit at the dining room table across, look at each other, talk, unless we're arguing. No, we don't do that much. <laughs> talk. There's no devices. We don't have a TV on. We don't, I don't even know what. We don't have TV channels. We just have TV collecting dust. So that's never on. Some nights there's a bit of music, but it's like a time where even if you've had a bad day, you're in a state where you are probably giving yourself the best chance to digest that food mm. in the very best way. Even, even if you're bored, because being bored is a state of relaxed mind. And yeah. some people confuse the two a little bit where we're constantly used to distractions. Yeah. Um, but if you're actually bored for 30 seconds, yeah. it's the benefit for your body are huge. Exactly. So you're not, not saying you're going to be bored sitting across from your wife having yeah. dinner. But... <laughs> Sometimes, if, mate. Yeah. She doesn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll force it to. Yeah. You know, if, you've, if you've been together all day, there's not a lot to say. But yeah. um, at that same point, it's just that, okay, there's no more choices. I'm not going to decide what to watch on telly. Yeah. I'm not going to decide if I like this show or not, if yeah. I'm getting annoyed by it or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It is just let's be bored together yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we, we go in and out of phases ourselves. And I know we definitely want to get into that phase of doing what you're saying yeah. um, when we're having dinner. But then we'll go through a phase. Oh, we'll we be going out and take our food out to a picnic more often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but I think everybody goes in and out of phases of things in their life, such as, you know, what you're currently eating, what your favorite foods are at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think for whatever reason, we, we need to do something. And you've probably got some great advice of, <laughs> of maintaining that open-mindedness to always mixing it up a bit, not getting too stuck in a phase of kind of repetition. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. Like Like lack of choice is great with repetition, but at the same time being aware that we're no longer using our brain for creativity. Yeah. And I think that's something that when you, when you revisit goals often, you sort of realize, I'll give you a good example. Uh, when was it? September last year, I started doing yoga and I do yoga twice a week. And I got to a point where I was like, I don't need it for, for mindfulness. It's actually quite funny. The first day I went into the class, the chick goes, have you done yoga before? I said, no, and I don't want any of that funky shit. I'm just here to, you know, move my body in a better way. And so I'd identified at that point that I need to bring in this new tool to my armory is the same if you if you're out running or if you're if you're one of these people that you have this dip in the afternoon after lunch at three o'clock what do you do if you keep doing the same things you're going to keep getting the same results right 
So you need to be in this state where you're going through reflection. It's like when I sit with Holly, that's a reflection on the day. That's hands down. That's a reflection on the day. It's not formal. There's no agenda. There's no like, okay, Holly, tell me about your day. She'll how's yours, Mark? It's like nothing <laughs> crap like that. But we'll just talk things over. And then at the end of the week, I'll look back and I'll look at my training. I'll look at what we've achieved in the business. I'll look at all of these things. So you're looking back and going, right, this needs to change. You're not going, oh yeah, Pete, like he's really my good mate and he started doing yoga. So I'm going to start doing yoga, you know, because Pete could have started yoga for a million different reasons. So you need to make sure that you start to, it comes back to the tracking and then we can, I think I've got quite, Holly will say I don't have an open mind, but I think I've got quite an open mind to like, there's a lot of things like you can tell me how good carnivore is. I'm not going to do it. Not right now. You know what I mean? I'm not never going to do it. I'm going to listen to you. Like we ran for almost two hours the other day and you told me about it for like at least an hour of that. And I found it, no, but I found it riveting. And I was the one asking all the questions. Yeah. You know, it's not like you were just talking to me and annoying. Like, but, then, but then Pete's only doing it because of all his health issues. So like a lot of people are like, oh, Jamie, how do you deal with Pete being carnivore? Yeah. Isn't, that, um, isn't, isn't that annoying for you? Like, how do you have a husband that's carnivore? Yeah. But I'm saying, well, he doesn't have a choice. Yeah. It's not a choice. It's what's making him happy and healthy at the exactly. moment. Exactly. And it'll yeah. change, you know? So I think that's the thing as well. And there's all these there's all these new tools coming to the front of performance. Like, mate, when did you start using training peaks? You know, when you started, there probably wasn't training peaks. I mean, you're not super old, but you know what I mean? Like, I think there was a Garmin when Pete started. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I spoke earlier about HRV. We can, for all the slagging off and the distractions in, 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 in technology, so much benefit to it. And we've spoken a, f- a bit about the benefits. So it's like, it's looking at stuff and going, okay, that's a good bit of, that's a good tool. I'm going to try it. I'm at point A at the moment. I'm going to measure how I go and just being super open-minded. Like, you know, I ate, I ate vegetables for over six months, you know, and at the, but at the same time, I've seen people go vegan because they listen to Rich Roll's podcast and they're fat as hell. It's like, are you kidding? And you're still fat and you still listen to Rich Roll and you try and get him to tag you in something. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're still fat. It's not working for you. Mm -hmm. I'm super cool that you've tried to do it, but you've either not done it properly or it just won't work for your body. And that, this is, it goes back to what I said earlier. You don't have to have the most expensive coach in the world, but you have to have someone who you trust who's going to go and hit you straight in the face when you've been a douchebag. You know what I mean? And and, and for me, people don't have that because they don't, they, they want, what they think is the solution to be the solution. Now imagine if, if you got that with, with, with your, you'd have been fine months and months ago, but you couldn't find the solution straight away. And you've gone through this incredible process, which I think is amazing. And so many people don't go through it. That's why so many people are sick. And now you've come around to a point where eating this meat is, is what's working for you. As I said, I have my own theories about where it'll end up. And hopefully I'm right. Hopefully I'm wrong. You know what I mean? But we're not, we're not doing this. We just, we want to see it on social because Rich Roll's doing it and he's not a bad runner, but he's nothing great, you know? Yeah. And I think as you just Slam said, Rich there, Roll. There, <laughs> as there is no right or wrong. No. 
except for how do you feel? That's the only marker that matters. You have to take your out of, get outside of your own head of Rich Roll does it this way, therefore I'll do what he does and therefore I should feel like he feels. Yeah. And if I don't, it doesn't matter. I'll keep trying it that his way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's clearly saying his is the right way. Yeah. When you've totally forgotten that there is no right or wrong. Yeah. You have to keep open-minded, have to keep trying things, keep cha- testing your perception. And I think maybe I said this to you that carnivore is at the moment a, a test of people's open-mindedness because yeah. of, you know, people straight up question there's not enough nutrients in it. And yeah. it's like, well, hang on, a two-second Google search shows you that you're wrong and there's more nutrients in carnivore than there is in a vegan diet yeah. or vegetarian yeah. or even omnivore. Yeah. You know, so it, it depends on if that's the argument against it. Yeah. It's crazy that they've got this closed mind yeah. of this belief. Yeah. And they won't even question their belief. Yeah. Um, it's like, it, sorry, to wrap yeah. that one up, mate. It's literally like someone listening to this show and going and doing everything we've spoken about. You will fail. <laughs> you'll 100%. They're going to start tomorrow doing 30 marathons in 30 days. You'll be stressed. Yeah. 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 You, you'll be stressed. Even if, like, I always say, like, if you can take one or two things, like, I listen to podcasts a lot. I read a lot of books. I, if I can take one or two things, from a 15-hour audio book, I consider it a success. But people want to tune into your podcast and in an hour with a certain guest, have their life changed. It's not going to happen. No, that's it. But that, if you get one or two good things, it can be enough to change your life. Correct. You don't need to change 3,000 things. Yeah. You it might- can be something just like sleep. Like, yeah. Um, we're, we're not attracting elite athletes, like you mentioned before, even though Pete is an elite athlete, yeah. we're attracting people that want to increase their energy. They want to increase their connection with their family and their yeah. partner. They want to do better at work and yeah. they want to maybe run their first 5K or do Noosa triathlon. They're yeah. not necessarily even Ironman triathletes. Um, and I was questioning before we met you in person, even yeah. though we'd been on your podcast months yeah. ago, I was kind of questioning, are Pete and I doing the right thing? with live your own fit yeah. we onboard people coaching them but then the first six weeks we drip feed them our um six week health coaching course so it's right. all about holistic living it's yeah. getting your sleep right dialing in nutrition that's right for you yeah not no one not everyone's going to be a carnivore mindset, yeah. mindset um recovery practices and that's the nutrition and the sleep will help you move yeah. and get fit and healthy. And as you said, you can't do that without the sleep yeah, and exactly. nutrition. But I was sort of questioning our process, thinking, should we be like everyone else and just focus on the fitness side? Yeah. Will we attract people if we're all about the holistic side? Yeah. Um, but meeting you has been such a joy because you've brought it home that, yes, you're right, you can't perform without the sleep and the nutrition. Yeah. So... That's done a lot for me personally. Yeah. It's given me a lot of confidence. It's, it's an interesting one. Thanks for the nice words. It, it, it's an interesting one as well, though, because I was on a course over 10 years ago with the guy that founded uh, TP Therapy, the Trigger Point oh, Therapy, yeah. Cassidy Phillips. Yeah, yeah. He's an yeah. incredible character. I, for the first half hour, I hated him. Um, we're, we're quite similar. <laughs> and, um, because he was just, putting you through pain? No, just... just personality Well, clash. A, he had like the, the biggest cup of Starbucks coffee I've ever seen. So that just loses all respect straight away. I'm like, I can't listen to a guy for three days. But he said something that, as it always does, just, you know, 
the whole thing changed. He goes, we're going to give people what they need, not just what they want. And I thought about that, thought about that, thought about it. So someone's going to come and people that are listening, you have to keep going to the coach that if you think you want to be very good at triathlon or running, you have to keep going for that coach. That coach, the, how good that coach is, is going to depend on what he actually gives you. Does that make sense in the way that if Pete comes to me and his gut's not in good shape, but he wants to still do a triathlete, I have to be a good enough coach to stop writing a bullshit 18-hour-a-week program for him for three weeks, and he has to be, I have to sell it in a way, I have to walk him through it in a way that says, Pete, the next two weeks, you're going to relax. Don't come to me and say, why am I paying you 500 bucks for it? Just, it's going to be cool. And I've had some clients that I've had for five years now, and some weeks, I just don't even want to speak because I don't need to speak to them and they don't need to speak to me. You have to be, as a person, as a human, whether it's the coach that you pay, whether it's the mentor that you have, the support network, husband or wife, you have to be ready to understand that that person is going to give you what you need and what you want right now could be a little bit further apart. It's super, super important. I had a conversation the other day, a company called Beyond Macros, a guy called Matt Woolroth, who's an American guy, lives here in Australia. He's like, mate, we're, we're called Beyond Macros. We're a nutrition company. He said, but what's nutrition about? Ocean? Like, yeah. He said, it's not about macros the whole time. He said, people have eating disorders because they have depression. He said, we've got to get them out of that. You know? So if you sign up with a coach or you sign up with you guys, you can't start freaking out that, oh, I signed up with Pete Jacobs. Where's my 18 hours a week to be the world's best? Yeah. Mate. You don't know how to run. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? That's well, that's... I think screening is such a great idea. Like, you, not everyone is going to be the right fit for a coach and an athlete. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and that's why I think as well, and this goes into, and I think these points are really helpful for, for people that are, you know, I always look at it like this. Someone's going to pay me $500 a month, which I think is a lot of money, to coach them. I'm going to coach them super good. I'm going to give them... I'm going to give them all of me. I don't have any off-shelf programs, but they're also buying my honesty. And I'm not going to just give them their program if, it, if that is not what they need at that time. Mm. However, I've got the flexibility and now maybe the experience to say, okay, let's just look at your sleep quickly for this week. Because that is such an important part of the program and their performance to take them to where they want to go to. If you don't do that, you'll jump to another coach and you'll continue to be broken. And you'll be broken for absolutely ever. So I think that's one of the biggest things for people that are paying is to have an open mindset and say, we understand you want to do a triathlon. Mm. You, might be, you might be able to do that in six months, but it might take you two years. And, but this guy's going to change your life. Like Pete will literally change your life because you might ever think that you're suffering why you can't get energy. Like, I can't mm. make you faster if you can't get energy from your gut. Yeah. Well, this guy's done a fair bit of research on that. Yeah. So, you know, to listen about it in that way is something that, that is like, you just have to be, you have to be coachable, mm. you know? And that's one of the questions we ask people is, what do you expect from a coach? And <laughs> some of the answers are, you know, are... are they're a red flag. <laughs> are, well, they're, they're interesting points, mate. But that's mm. why, 
that's why I asked that question because I'll then, if it is a bit of a red flag, I'll then go like, okay, Pete, this is what you've said you expect from coach. Can you explain that? You know, and, and actually, because I always think, and I always say this to our coaches, it's our fault. Your client's not performing, it's my fault or it's our fault. You as a coach has to take ultimate responsibility. I didn't explain it clearly to the client. The client hasn't understood. Did I double check that what I said they understood mm. when I meant no freaking milk? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you go, okay, no milk. And they're, next week they're like, no, you didn't say no low-fat milk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you as a coach haven't explained it. So there has to be this alignment with a coach and a client all the time which is no different the alignment in the rest of life. You two are a couple. You have an understanding. You have these rules that you have this relationship by. You know, no other boyfriends and girlfriends sort of thing. You know, when that comes in, it's like, whoa. But in a training plan, oh, yeah, well, I felt really good today, so I did an extra 30K. Well, that's <laughs> like sleeping with my best friend. It is. <laughs> you know, there isn't this sort of alignment. It's, it is yeah, interesting. Because then it undermines you putting your effort in as well because exactly. then you're a bit like well i've put in this effort and now it's been undermined by you making it up yourself anyway yeah so it's not like yes you're paying me but i don't feel worthwhile yeah. i have no you know and that's what i've said to people as well like if you're not going to eat how i've explained well let's go through that again but if you're not going to do that i i'm actually getting zero satisfaction out of writing yeah. you this because yeah. I, kn- I know you're not going to get better and this is like, it's a hard conversation to have with a client, but it's like, if you don't, if you don't do this, then this one that you think you're paying for is just not going to work. And I'm telling you that right now, because I know that right now, because I've seen that because, you know, and it's, it's, it's a really tough one and it's the same, but you know, I had a client the other week, easy run. Now I train my clients hard. If I say five minutes, okay, they give me 440. Like it just happened the whole time. And it was like five minutes a K and this kid's running at 4.50. And so he's just straight in the gray. I could have said, you're a douchebag, blah, blah, blah. But the training peaks comment is, mate, this is supposed to be this. Go to minute 13, see where your heart rate goes to here. Have a look at that part of the graph, blah, 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 blah. So a little bit of description. Next time I put five. Yes, I'm happy with 4.45, but no, I'm not happy with 4.15. Are you happy with that? I understand it, coach. Cool. Yeah. Never screws up a run again. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. You know, and you've got this, but it's hard. Um, last question, because you've yeah. got to get going to another <laughs> oh, call. Yeah, yeah. You do. Last question, so you can make this as short as you want. <laughs> we'll make it um, long. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's only your appointment next. So um, what's driving you? And you can make it professionally or personally, but what, what thrill are you getting out of um, heading towards your goals? That's a very good question. And it, it's probably, it's rooted in really my why, which I obviously had to spend a lot of time on in 2018. And honestly, it was really hard to, to bring it all together. But after my crash and when I was getting ready for my marathons, I sort of spent a lot of time on it. And there's three things in no particular order. Number one is the learning that I get from the last hour and a half chatting here is insane. I'll listen back to this two times, three times. I'll take certain chunks from it. Learning is amazing. The human body is, 
I don't think we're even close to understanding how it works. And if, and I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm far from it. But there's some people so far back here as well. So I'm maybe somewhere in the middle. I know little bits, but it just mesmerizes me. And I'm excited that I can learn different things about the human body, the human mind, and hopefully share it with, with those people. So that's one of my big whys. My second one is my family. Like I've said a few times, like the environment that is cre- was created when I was a kid, I want to I wanna serve that. Like I just see it such a waste because I, you know, I'm all this hashtag blessed because I was brought up in a family that I had shoes and I had parents that would take me running in those shoes, you know? There's a lot of people that never had that. And I think if I didn't make the best of that, I'd be, it'd be such a horrific place, you know, and that'll live on. My parents are a little bit older now. They're, my mom's 75, you know, that'll live on forever. I'll always want to do that. And with that, and you've seen how it, probably I speak about Holly as well. Like I want her to be proud. Like I want to come to that table at dinner and I want to have a conversation and she can be proud to have that conversation and she can be proud in what I'm trying to do to help her, to help us live a great life and help the others. So families, family is massively important. And, and the third thing, which I think ties it all together, is, is really trying to understand human potential, mine and everyone's. And that was a big thing for the marathons as well. It's like, you know, I know that I ran into over 20 schools. So we'd, we'd run to a school and some days, these were the worst days I'd have to do the last 2k on their athletics track (laughs) and i'd have like legit 14 year old like athletes just trying to gas me (laughs) and i'm on day like 20 and i'd i remember this one school and i ran in and i ran and there's these two girls who are incredible triathletes that one's about 13 and one's about 15 they're they're sisters and i said to tom who's a coach that works for me i said who are these two behind us? And he, he said their names and I knew them, but I, I just didn't want to turn around. I just never want to look back. And he goes, they're, they're those girls. And I was like, shit. I said, mate, we've got 2K here. I said, and they're on our tail. And he's like, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, I guess 2K is five laps. We'll just drop it by 15 seconds each lap. I think we ran the last lap at just over three minutes a K. Oh, and I, I literally, and that's the thing at the end, you've got to, you've got to, you know, all the kids are going crazy and I've got to be this hyper, I don't have to be, but you know, I'm buzzing off the kids anyway. And, and, and yeah, anyway, that's another part of that. <laughs> Human potential is I guarantee that there was 2000 kids on that particular day at the track, about 400 running with me and the rest there. I know because I've had messages through social media and, and stuff. Because I ran that day to that school, one of those kids has gone home and run that evening. Not only that, they've gone and told their parents. So 2,000 kids have told 2,000 mummies and daddies, which is 4,000. One of those parents has gone running. I don't need to know. It's amazingly satisfying when they message you and say it. That's not why I do it. I just know in my, in my mind and in my heart that that day, someone would have gone and run. So when I'm out of my ass three hours into my 24th marathon, human potential and just the ability to share that with them is 
like it's one of the biggest motivating factors and i think that's like for, for mine as well like i don't know what's what's the limit you can run 30 marathons like i don't know you know yeah i really don't think there is you know i i've, I've loved roger bannister since the start you know four minute mile like, i remember just re- reading his story when I, th- I was about 11 years old and how the doctor said no way you can do this and you know all that bullshit came back and you'd die and all of this stuff Bannister did it now it's nothing you know this year is going to be special I, I genuinely think Kipchoge will run sub two and I think that'll be amazing um he was so close in Berlin last year and I just think it'll happen this year and it'll just keep getting better and better and you know I wrote an article the other day that it's called the fit will get fitter and the fat will get fatter because that's really what's happening like I've got clients that you know they're just signing up half of me says have I really told them what an ultra marathon is (laughs) you know have I really explained what a five-day 250k race is all about and half of me goes why ruin it why not they've got the they've just like these and people are coming to me and they're like how did you get that guy they think i'm like some kind of weird like i don't know cult leader just like cast the spell on people like how did you get that guy to sign up for that 250k race and i've just gone it's life you know and and i think that's like I, little goals yeah I, I just think that it's just you know and yeah he'd come and he'd run 500 meters with us then he came and ran a track and then one day he came and ran the trail with me. you know so yeah that's really my driving factors that's my why and you could argue either way but that's kind of how i wake up every morning and i'm like you know just yeah. try and make it happen and hang out with cool people and that's Brilliant. that's my life <laughs> All right. well you're a bundle of energy markets and you've given um Pete, I know, and myself, so much inspiration and motivation since you've been here. Just running through the park, I feel like we should have been paying you for, and you just want to impart so much knowledge and you're so giving. No, so that's what right. um, I love and we're all on the exact same page. Yeah, it's cool. It's, um, that's the thing as well. I, I, I guarantee I haven't figured it all out, you know. It'll and we come never back. will. We never will, no. mate. But, you know, if, if with coaching, with relationship, with life, we're just, we're on a trail at the moment. We're not we're not coaching people the same way we were two years ago. I think that's positive. You know, we're, you know, you, you've got to always be changing. And I think that's awesome. And I think, you know, I think people just have to, we spoke about it in the show, they have to have that mindset to keep growing and just mm. keep changing. And mm. as long as you wake up every morning, have a small goal for that day and just say, I'm going to crush it. And at the end of the day, feel a bit better than you were earlier. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good life. Brilliant. Thanks so much we, for being on. And that's perfect to end on that note. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Good stuff. <laughs>